Hello Homerites, I'm Peter Turner and welcome to this first ever edition of the Homer podcast. Now if you've been keeping an eye on the Homer network group on Facebook, you'll know that despite Covid attempting to kill off the cinema experience, Homerites have been busy with their research and some have even started returning to movie going outside of their living rooms. Starting in July, we've enjoyed a series of webinars on topics ranging from the Spanish flu's effect on cinema to the Irish Film Society's programming of German films and conducting interviews during lockdown. Grace Stevenson and Sam Manning have been doing a great job of setting these webinars up and encouraging more communication between Homerites in socially distanced times. With the Homer conference postponed for a year due to the pandemic, it's been a summer of changes and challenges for us all. Cinema going has been out of the question for most of us, and this has led to plenty of discourse around the future of movie going, cinema exhibition and film reception. With that in mind, we thought it time that Homer had its very own podcast, a place where Homerites can hear each other's stories, research successes, perhaps some failures, and experiences of lockdown, experiences of cinema, and much more. Each month, we'll be having three guests from the Homer Network and beyond. Before we look to the future, the topic of this first episode is looking back at the last few months, the lockdown, and what cinema going has become in these strange times. I'm joined by three guests from the Homer Network, Dr. Anna Laygrove from the University of East Anglia, Sam Manning from Queen's University Belfast, and Kate van der Ven from York University. Without further ado, here are those interviews. So I'm delighted to be joined on the first ever Homer podcast by Dr. Anna Blaygrove. Anna is a PhD graduate from the University of East Anglia, and she's also the director of Real Connections, and they run online events, well, a online event recently called Intermissions uh, with young film programmers. Anna, what has lockdown been like for you, and what has your film viewing what has cinema going become to you without the cinema hello there so lockdown actually for me personally has been pretty intense as it has for everyone i guess but personally speaking i have i have two young children um so it's been it's been quite you know focused we've been focused on them um but in terms of film my film consumption well because of those two young children i mean the, the eldest is seven so i'm having been a parent for seven years i have got quite used to watching films at home in that time i mean i am an avid cinema goer and i used to work in a cinema so that gave and that was for sort of 10 years plus so that gave me a lot of opportunities see lots of films and that was like a golden era for me but so I guess I I am quite used to being at home and satisfying my cinematic itch at home I mean it's been really sad very very sad what's happened with cinemas I've been keeping a close eye on on the situations and um and I know that a lot are now open but it's it's just a very tricky situation with the with the releases or the lack of releases and cinemas are really trying to sort of attract people back but of course so many conditions to that viewing experience it's it it's it's really quite worrying as to you know how a lot of venues are going to survive this so have you done anything differently in terms of your film consumption apart from not going to the cinema have you tried to recreate the cinema experience in any way shape or form in the early lockdown we kind of watched a movie a day together well they'd have to obviously have be like family movies but we've got a good back catalogue and of course disney plus <laughs> launched in that period so so yeah we succumbed to, to the um, the lure of Disney Plus early on so we had that huge Disney back catalogue and all the Star Wars content and so we enjoyed the Mandalorian and my children watched the Rebels Star Wars Rebels uh, animated series with with the dad yeah I mean we we sort of also we do a like a movie thing on a Saturday so we'll make pizza instead of sitting at the table we just have pizza on the sofa with a movie which is something you don't really do in the cinema, actually. So, you know, there's an advantage of probably a bit too smelly as a pizza in the cinema. Have you been back to a cinema yet? No. What's going to get um, you back? I'm keen to get back. And I don't mind going to see classic movies there either. My partner was, he, he was quite pleased to see Empire Strikes Back 
available to go and see at the cinema. I was quite keen to see Spirited Away, but it just didn't work out in terms of timings and so on. But I mean, we certainly will at some point go back. And as I say, it's not necessarily the new releases that would tempt us back. We're, 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 we're absolutely fine with seeing some, some good movies from, from the past. So, yeah, and, and because I used to work at the cinema in Norwich, it's called Cinema City, it's a picture house operated venue. I have, a, I have a membership there and it's a lovely old building. It's a beautiful merchant's house with, with a big like cafe bar, with a, which was, used to be a banqueting hall with a vaulted ceiling. And I have lots of friends there. So it's always, it's like going home in a way. It's like a spiritual home, that place for me. So um so that's my, that's my cinema of choice. But in Norwich, we have a, an Odeon and a View cinema as well. And they, they took part in this kind of price war business from like last year, or whenever that was, a year or two ago. So five pounds per ticket, any time of the day, any, anyone. So that was great. I mean, that made it a, a hugely more attractive to go to a multiplex because in fact the picture house didn't and weren't able to to match that it was that they're still sort of charging about 10 12 pound a ticket although not for me because i have a membership and so on so when in the past we've we've sort of been to both the the, the specialized cinema or the art house cinema and the multiplexes we're not fussy in that respect. It's, it's, it's interesting you've you've worked at a cinema for for a long time and obviously had lots of experience of of consuming films at a cinema so what do you miss most or, or what have you longed for the most about cinema going i really do feel desperately sad for all for all the venues that have had to close down um and and the precariousness of the the jobs that there in those places so, I mean, I do, I do love a cinema. I do love attending a cinema, you know, the smell of it, the feel of it, the, the experience of being in a group with a group of people, the, the collective enjoyment of a film, be it laughing together, crying together, singing, you know, the recent trends of sing-alongs. I don't think that's allowed at the moment. Singing, sing along. Good. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> I know it's, a, it's it's quite an un-British thing in a way to do the sing-alongs. It always feels a bit awkward. People are kind of mumbling. Well, their, I, I um, went to um, the uh, a Greatest Showman sing-along at the Prince Charles oh, yeah. Cinema in London, and there was nothing awkward about it. It was it was a joyful religious really? experience. It, it was amazing. It was like a like a festival almost. People out oh, of their seats. Yeah. It was it was amazing. That sounds fun. Am I right in saying you recently finished your PhD, um, which was titled Teen Screens, The Places, Values and Roles of Film Consumption and Cinema Going for Young Audiences. Did that all get finished before lockdown? Was that unaffected? I handed it in just before Christmas. Then my, my Viva was scheduled originally for the first week of lockdown. That was delayed by a month so I, I had my viva at the end of April via video call and yeah actually I think I, I quite enjoy, I really quite enjoyed the viva and so for me having it via video was fine by me it went really well and I was it, it was a very positive experience it was better than I could have imagined actually so in terms of PhD that's kind of I, I mean I had to do my corrections and submit and that's all done and dusted now I was doing some teaching but that sort of had to go online but the other thing that I have been doing throughout is is my job with this company that I set up last year it's called Real Connections that's RWE and that's it's a community interest company by which we use film and music to engage community groups and our biggest project to date has been coordinating young film programmers groups throughout the southeast of England. So we have funding from the Independent Cinema Office and they get their funding from the BFI. And it's all in an attempt to engage 
16 to 30 year olds in specialised cinema and independent venues. So the whole project was conceived in order to use venues, so to have physical visits and events in cinemas and multi-arts venues. But in March, we had to stop that. And we we were also meeting once every two weeks, actually in a theatre in Norwich that had to stop so we we, yeah everything went online and we um, had zoom meetings with our young programmers we had we organized film quizzes virtual film quizzes we we had like viewing parties where they chose a film usually via a free streaming platform We, we regularly scoured iPlayer to see what was on there and then we'd have a kind of a tweet along during after the the screening and then the ICO uh, wanted they suggested that we 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 get more involved in this intermission it's called intermissions but essentially it was a series of interviews with industry people so there were some festive film festival programmers there was a film director that was interviewed and that was a, a live Zoom interview, which was then recorded and posted online so it could be viewed retrospectively. I interviewed a film locations manager for one event. So, yeah, things have changed significantly since the pandemic began here in, in March. But, you know, it hasn't been all bad. It's just sort of adapted and shifted but we are hopeful that we will be back in venues we really don't want to give up on cinemas when i say we i mean my fellow directors of this company and certainly the independent cinema office you know they're all about independent cinemas Mm -hmm. so it's it's really really vital that these venues survive and that the practice of physically going to a cinema um, and view, collectively viewing a film is is kept alive. These are exactly the sort of venues that it seems that you know we're we're desperately worried about now. Are you feeling optimistic through your work? There have been quite a lot of funds which have been set up. The BFI have had various funds. The ICO have found pots of money in order to subsidise venues. Of course, there's been the government's furlough scheme as well. So a lot of staff have been able to stay employed employed in, during, during this crisis. So I think most places are hanging in there. And of course, I mean, I'd say maybe roughly half of cinemas are now open at reduced capacity they're sort of sort of limping along but i think the test really is going to be from the autumn winter onwards the furlough scheme is going to end in october so there may be redundancies across the board for in order for places to survive but my company you know we're, we're planning for the best what we would like to see happening is is events starting up again at least in in the new year i mean i'm keen to arrange something towards the end of this year as well in order to kind of just remind people about what's out there and the opportunities mm. we had a meeting this week with some of our young programmers and I was keen to get them thinking about planning an event in a cinema in the next few months because in some ways it's a good time for young people to be hosting an event in a cinema because the venue that I'm talking about, Cinema City in Norwich, the average age of its sort of typical audience member is 50 plus. It's quite a mature, middle-class, white audience. So, and actually, some some audience, a f- fair amount of those audience members are really quite old. They show a lot of sort of Met Opera and, uh, you know, National Theatre, so event cinema. And if you go along to one of those events, it's all expensive wine and um, dressing up smart. And, you know, the tickets can be quite a premium price so the thing is though a lot of those people are not considering going to the cinema anytime soon you know if you're 70 80 plus and you've got some health issues going 
to the cinema is not is not going to be up there on your to-do list so i think that there's capacity i think there's there's possibilities for younger people to sort of get in there and um maybe take over the space a bit or fill the space you know and i don't think the programmers are gonna have a problem with that they want bottoms on seats and, and so where where are you getting the young film programmers from where where do you get these young people from and how, how much of an interest are you are you getting in in doing this the the ones we're working with at the moment are in their 20s so a lot of them are graduates yes a lot of them have studied film and media some of them are, are at sea at the moment as to what to do with themselves you know, as I mean, this pandemic has, has scuppered a lot of opportunities. It's a really desperate time. I mean, I mentioned older people and their concerns with their health and so on. But younger people, even though COVID doesn't affect them so in the same ways as was as older people, their their opportunities, their life chances have been severely reduced. You know, no longer can you take a gap year and go travelling easily, and career options have shrunk. Even going to university seems to be highly problematic with the, the A-level debacle. So what our, our film programmers group can do is give these young people a focus, something to occupy their time and, their, and, and a productive uh, outlet. Because actually with the other thing that our, our current group are doing is inviting blog entries. So written articles to go online mm -hmm. from anyone, everyone who submits an idea. And once they, they submit that, their, their draft will then read it over and give some advice for, for edits. And so it's like a, a, an opportunity for, for those 16 to 30 year olds to develop their writing skills or, or learn about the industry or just sort of, make friends and talk to people you know via our zoom meetings they have their own work groups they, they do they have a, um, it's called slack uh, it's like an online communications app for work projects yeah and they're re they've become really um, proactive themselves so even though I and a colleague we're facilitators we haven't actually had to be that involved in recent months because we've got some very proactive members of, of the group so it's great that it's sort of taking on its own life sounds absolutely fantastic uh, and I, uh, I wish you all the best with it well thank you very much for coming on the the first ever homer podcast and if you want to have a look at what anna's just been talking about you can go to the real connections website thank you very much for coming on you're welcome that was my interview with anna blaygrove and now it's on to my interview with sam manning sam is a lecturer at the queen's university belfast his book was published earlier this year it's open access it's called cinemas and cinema going in the uk decades of decline 1945 to 1965 and sam is going to talk to us a little bit about his lockdown experiences and research so sam thanks for coming on what has cinema going become to you without the cinema over the last few months well thanks uh, thanks for having me on the, the first podcast uh and pete i guess the first thing i say is that I've, I've really missed the cinema um as as you might not be surprised to hear you know i'm a really frequent cinema goer you know before lockdown i would go once or or twice a week to my local cinemas and see whatever was on basically um and obviously that being my main social activity, I suppose it has kind of impacted my um, my leisure time and how I how I spend that. I guess so. I've been watching lots of films at home as I as I as I did before. And in, in some ways I think I'm watching perhaps more films than I than I ever did. I'm just watching them in, in different ways. So obviously we're we're streaming more things. I've been watching quite a lot of old films at the, at the moment. I watch a lot of talking pictures TV. I don't know if you've heard of that channel, which yeah, seems to have become very popular over lockdown. I've seen lots of different articles in newspapers and it was even on the the bbc news how popular it's become um uh, during lockdown so i guess i've used it as a chance to sort of indulge my passion for kind of strange and uh, forgotten british films of the 40s and 50s so what have been some of the the best films that you've seen some of the classics 
so the ones I've enjoyed the most, um, I really enjoyed Night of the Demon, which is a, a 50s uh, British uh, British horror film. What else did I see? I watched The Fallen Idol, which is a, a Carol Reed film. I've watched lots of obscure things that I probably couldn't even tell you the, the names of, where the kind of the same, you know, British actors seem to pop up all the time. You know, um, people like Margaret Rutherford and um, Google Withers, all those kinds of people. Um, but yeah, it's just really, really enjoying to see, uh, see you know, films from that, that period, which you would otherwise probably never see. Um. Similarly, I've been watching a lot of old films. I've, I've sort of used, because there's less new films to keep up with, I thought, you know, it's a perfect opportunity to, to catch up with all these old classics. I guess they're not really old, but they have been reissuing films in the cinema. Have you been back to a cinema since all this started? Yeah, I have. I've um, so I've been well three times. So I actually went in June or, or July to a drive-in cinema, which was set up in Belfast. Which I suppose you know was a, a really new experience for me. I'd never been to a drive-in cinema before, so it took COVID to uh, you know, force me to have that new um, cinema-going experience. You know, I went to see Greece there, and it was on a it was on a very sunny day. I said afterwards that the drive-in we were at was not quite as glamorous as the drive-in that's in Greece itself. That was a really a really enjoyable experience. And I went to the the cinema as soon as it opened back up in uh, in Belfast. So I went to the Strand, which is a, a 1930s Art Deco cinema in East Belfast. And I went to see um, The Empire Strikes Back there. And then I went to see um, Parasite again at Queen's Film Theatre, which is the kind of uh, independent kind of art house type cinema in in Belfast. Yeah, so there, there were all films that I'd I'd seen before, but it was just it was just great to be back in the back in the cinema again. It was something that, that I'd really miss. I'm I'm glad you are leading the charge because someone has to lead us back into cinemas. So I guess I have to ask then, how has the cinema going experience actually changed when you're there? Well, obviously the kind of you know precautions and procedures that you'd expect to be in place were there were obviously screens as you as you went in. Um, you know some of the social areas were were closed off and then. Um, you know, people were, you know, spaced out in the in the cinema. It all felt very safe to me. Um, it seemed like both the cinemas I went to were following all the guidelines uh, correctly and I had really no worries at all about going back. So what is it that you found that you've missed the most or, or what have you longed for the most about cinema? I think, to be honest, mainly it's the concentration of, um, you know, having to focus on a film for two hours or so. Being at home, I'm very easily um, distracted you know, just by other people in the house or, you know, my phone or, 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 or whatever. I mean, what I really like about the cinema is that you are, um, you know, forced to, to concentrate on the film solely for the, for the period that, that, that it's on. I mean, other than that, I kind of miss the social aspect of going with different people and talking about the films, you know, before and afterwards. I guess also just seeing new films, like, like I said, um, you know, I've been watching a lot of, of, a lot of classic films, the films I've seen in the cinema since I've been back have been classic films as well so just perhaps going to to a film that you don't know much uh, much about and being pleasantly surprised about is something that i've really missed over the past few months is there a film that's been delayed that you are most excited to to get in cinemas good question i think i'm i'm well i'm excited to see tenor as is everyone else uh, <laughs> else is apparently um to be honest i'm not too sure what, what what's coming out you know i, I tend not to follow the upcoming releases that much i just like to go as and when they come out and hopefully be pleasantly uh, pleasantly surprised but i think a lot of cinemas i suppose you know seem to be staking their future on the kind of big tentpole releases like tenet you mentioned that you're working on the european cinemas project has your research been affected because of lockdown and, and the coronavirus well in in a way yes uh, in other ways no so so part of the project um was uh, recording all history interviews so we did the as as a project we recorded um 20 interviews in seven different cities and i was responsible for recording interviews in leicester with people who went to the cinema in the 1950s um, and we were fortunate that all those interviews were recorded quite a long time before lockdown and now we're in the process of analysing those, those interviews and hopefully um, writing up our, our research. So in that respect, uh, we haven't been too impacted. Um, what one 
I suppose one area where we have been affected is that we were hoping to host uh, an event, I suppose, to thank all our interviewees and uh, to show them some of our findings. And we had planned to do that during this this summer, but obviously that's had to be delayed. Telling other people about our research, you know, going to conferences and, and you know, giving presentations, obviously we haven't been able to... Um, to do that as much. My final question is: You've looked in this in this uh, recent book at these couple of decades of the decline in cinema going in the UK. We are obviously in a period where box office receipts have declined. I think I read by something like ninety seven percent on on last year, and and you know hopefully this is a blip. What's your feeling on the decline of cinema right now? Have your studies of Belfast and Sheffield in the 40s and 50s does it tell us anything about now and the decline of cinema perhaps now I mean it was very different um circumstances back then there were very different reasons for the for the decline of cinema but it is it is interesting looking back at that research given what's uh, what's happened I obviously finished the book um before before lockdown um but then you know given what's happened you look back and you do see parallels so I remember one thing that I wrote about in the book was about the impact of a flu epidemic in 1957 on cinema audiences in in Belfast and I found a report which said that attendances had uh, declined significantly and a lot of um, cinema owners were, were struggling at, at that point um, and so as that you know exacerbated a lot of the other problems you know with things like the introduction of, of TV and audiences moving away from the city centre into the the suburbs so you know I suppose that kind of information that I found took on a new light given the given the current pandemic. Yeah, I think the, the reasons for the decline, um, you know, from the 40s onwards, well, there are many, you know, reasons, obviously, including television, but like I said, also um, population shifts, um, different uh, leisure habits, um, you know, changing infrastructure, growing affluence. And these were really kind of long term processes that impacted the way that people spent their, their leisure time. So this is a very different set of circumstances. It's a uh, an unprecedented global pandemic. So as I'm not a cinema exhibitor, you know, I'm, I'm a historian, I'm probably good at telling you what happened in the past, but not so much as telling you what's happening at the moment or predicting the, the, the future. You know, I know a lot of, um, you know, distributors are, are choosing to release their films in, in, in different ways. And I, I you know, I, my hope is that they continue to, you know, release all their, all their major films in cinemas and that people do, do flock back. And there is a real kind of hankering for, you know, seeing films in, in cinemas, especially designed places for, for, for seeing films. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's just my hope. I'm not sure how accurate uh, that will turn out to be. Let's hope for the best. All right, thank you very much for being on the podcast, Sam. You're still organising webinars and things like that for Homer. Is there one coming up? Yeah, that, that's correct. So, well, so this was a way of um, compensating for the fact that we haven't had a, a Homer conference this year. Me and my colleague, Grace Stevenson, um, set up uh, you know, a series of online uh, events where different people from Homer talk about their, their research. Um, so we've had a couple so far. We had Paul Moore talking about um, changing exhibition practices in North America in the 70s. We had Leo Tibet talking about the Irish Film Society and, and German cinema. But yeah, it's been it's been a really good uh, forum, I guess. Well, firstly, for seeing lots of people who haven't seen in a, in a, in a long while, but also, um, you know, giving people a chance to share their research during, um, during the current pandemic. Excellent. Keep up the good work. Cheers. And that was my interview with Sam Manning. And now it's on to Kate Vanderven, who tells me about her experiences at the Toronto Film Festival. Kate's in Toronto and she's currently completing her thesis which is exploring place-making initiatives among Toronto film festivals and how these allow festivals to foster democratic festival citizenship and I know that Kate has been at Toronto Film Festival this very weekend. So before this very weekend what has cinema going been for you without cinema over this very strange summer that we've had? It's been dearly missed. Cinema going has. I, I'm so lucky to live in a city that at the best of times there'd normally be some kind of festival virtually if not every 
single weekend. We have a robust rep cinema network here as well. And then of course we have TIFF in their year round activities at TIFF Bell Lightbox, you know, their new home for about the past decade where they do year round programming. And so when you add those to the Cineplex offerings, I normally have a very robust op like set of options to go to the cinema anytime I want. And it's one of those things that you realize how much you took it for granted after it's gone. They did, so we shut down for COVID lockdown here mid-March and so everything went, I think TIFF tried to persist for about a week after that with much reduced screening capacities and then ultimately had to shut down as well. So there was this long period where, especially in a household like mine, where I have a husband who's in the industry and my, our son is, you know, I would say pretty film literate, a very big part of both my professional and personal life sort of just suddenly wasn't an option. And it's a, it was absolutely like, you don't know how much you miss it until it's gone. So I say there's sort of two different ways we can think about it, which is the worry that it might not come back. And then also, how do you try to substitute at home? So around the corner from my neighborhood is a uh, repertory cinema called The Review. It's R-E-V-U-E. -E, and it's a Toronto historical site, lovely single screen, very old fashioned cinema. And, you know, sort of very close to home, it's my entire community is very worried about the review and they've been doing a, a fundraising campaign and, you know, sort of brilliant postering outside to promise us that they'll be back. They'd use like sort of old fashioned, like I'd say 1950s vintage lobby style postering. But, you know, it's sort of, it, I think it's almost, what would you say? It's the canary in the coal mine to a certain extent for our community. Cause obviously during COVID we've had restaurants close, but all eyes are sort of on the cinema and can it ride this out long enough because they haven't been able to reopen sort of in this staged way like restaurants would. Bigger cinemas did get permission to open back up. I think it was like the very last day of July. I think it was July 31st. And there was all kinds of hilarity around the the legal specifications of that because I think Cineplex had to, I can't remember whether they did sort of a legal initiative on this or whether it just took a few days to sort it out. But the, the mandate that had come down was that there could be 50 people per cinema. And originally that was interpreted as, so if you're a Cineplex with 13 screens, you can still only have 50 people. Ultimately they moved that where cinemas, like individual screens of a certain size could have you know, sort of up to 50 and then some of the smaller ones had fewer, but I'll admit I've not gone back yet because, because of, I mean, how many reasons do you start with why I've not gone back? It's one of those things where what makes, you know, the dark insulated box of a cinema so appealing and effective and, uh, you know, the ideal place in which to go watch a film is the exact same reason I am somewhat terrified to put a toe into one right now. So yeah, that's the very long way of saying that since COVID started, I've not been in a cinema at all, which given, you know, that I have been a film studies person for two-ish decades, right? That's so weird. It is such a weird and unusual experience. My husband and son and I, you know, I would say about once or on a good month, twice a month, we would head somewhere to go watch a film on the weekend. It was, it was a household sort of standard for us. And as our son got a little bit older, it was hard to compete with the appeal of going to our, our local Cineplex multi-screen because they had one of those absolutely obnoxious, oppressively, you know, spectacle-oriented in-cinema arcades where they play all kinds of absurd games and get points and go and trade them in at a desk for trash. And, but an eight-year-old loves that, right? Um, the eight-year-old in all of us loved that. <laughs> and, and so we would go and, you know, see whatever the, the most promising family-oriented film was of the week or the month and, and hit the arcade. And early on in lockdown, our kiddo really expressed missing that. And so the idea was conceived that we would try to approximate it at home and what I find interesting about this is it wasn't just sit down and watch a movie. We had to create this whole at-home big box Cineplex experience. So we would, we have a vintage, by today's standards, vintage PlayStation 3. And so we would have to set that up and have sort of a pre-agreed standard by which in playing PlayStation games, we would earn little tickets in our endless basement full of stuff that we don't know how it got there we found you know those like raffle tickets that come on a, on a reel we had a roll of those and so you would play games and I don't know if you 
ran Sonic the Hedgehog X number of whatever the measure, the unit of measure is in Sonic the Hedgehog, you would get X number of tickets. We had a table set up. Our son was atypically proactive in setting up the snack table. (laughs) He's raiding the cupboard. He's raiding the pantry. He's raiding the fridge for, you know, sodas and stuff and set up an entire snack table. I I will say he was very sweet. He would put Rattlers and beers on for us as well. It's like, it's two o'clock in the afternoon, but it's two o'clock in the afternoon during COVID. So good call. Thank you. And, um, and so we would play games, win a bunch of tickets, eat a bunch of junk food, and then sit down to watch whatever film we were choosing to watch at the time. The one I think we did this with first was Onward. Was that, was that the Pixar one or whatever? Yeah, uh, yeah. Which was actually really been back lovely. in cinemas over here. They've, they've re, re-put it back in cinemas. I don't know if they have in Toronto as well. But. I haven't tracked it, just I think maybe partly because we haven't gone to any no. <laughs> which now I will I will take the sidestep to say seems absurd because in three days I'm sending my son to school where he will have a class cohort of 27 kids in a very tiny room and so you know 50 people in a huge cinema suddenly seems sort of a luxury and I think you know it'll be back on the radar for us if everything doesn't go south very quickly with school reopening so so then you haven't set foot back in a cinema but you've seen a couple of films at tiff already so what's cinema going been in terms of that then equally weird you know and i i should say so tiff is doing three kinds of physical screenings and then they are also doing digital and their their three physical kinds are drive-ins they have two different drive-in venues that they're using then they have an outdoor i think they were originally calling it a lawn screening but it's not on a lawn however each set of chairs are on a little square of astroturf which is great so they have those and then they are doing some in cinema physically distanced one the latter i have not mobilized myself to go to yet you know i still have a few days to possibly convince myself to do it but um so those are their three in person and then they have the digital screening platform i have gone to a drive-in and an outdoor lawn chair screening the drive-in i went opening night to the spike lee film it's david burns american utopia and so it's the it's an it's a spike lee concert film about burns broadway production that he has, I guess, toured with for a little over a year. And of all strange things, I went to the drive-in with my father, who is a longtime David Byrne fan, which also, if you knew my father, would not make sense to you. But so everything about that was already quite surreal, right? To, to hop in my dad's car when I haven't been indoors with him in, you know, however many months since March, but we decided this was the, this was the time and, and drive to this, this property by the water. So the, the drive-in that I went to is on a, it's a venue called Ontario Place, which was this, it, it was, it opened in 70 or 71. And it's this modernist, originally it was a theme park and it was meant to be this testament to Ontario's future looking land use planning and so over a couple of decades they it was it was the primary thing that it was was a theme park but it has a kind of buckyball cinesphere on it as well separate note but that has reopened in recent years though the rest of the park has shut down and is just sort of used piecemeal for these other weird one-off events and so we're kind of in this environment that already feels somewhere between abandoned and futuristic and you have the the lights on the the cinesphere kind of in the background and you know there's all this attempt and i i salute tiff for this so much to kind of still have that tiff opening night energy so though it is quite dark and rather chilly and all the staff are in coats you still sort of have what you would have had walking up to a tiff theater where you've got you know staff very visible in lanyards and headsets and you can see the smiles in their eyes but not on their faces because they're all wearing masks and they're you know you're wearing masks and they're scanning your ticket and directing you to a parking spot because they were all reserved parking spots to watch this opening night film. And honestly, the thing that as much as it was ultimately a really positive night, the thing it most reminded me of is probably not a positive reference because after 9-11, I was flying about two weeks after home from Toronto to LA where I lived at the time. And people could not be picked up at LAX. You had to exit LAX and get on shuttle buses and take you to some um, kind of remote airport parking lot where Mm. people could be, you know, waiting to to collect their passengers. And there were all these, I'm sure they weren't 
like searchlight spotlights. I'm sure they were just the normal lighting of the parking lot, but it felt like you were sort of, it felt like a pandemic thing without it being a pandemic thing, right? You got out of the, the shuttle buses in this parking lot at LAX and through a sea of people kind of tried to make sense of where you were and who was supposed to be there to pick you up. And visually, that is what this drive-in reminded me of. It, it felt sort of, until the film started, it felt a little bit end of the world-y. You know? mm. It was like, we're all just sort of like sitting here in our cars and people with masks and headsets are coming over and telling you to make sure your, you know, your parking lights are off and that if you get out of the car, you have to wear your mask. And so it was just, I mean, I'm still working through it. I think that's probably coming across and how I'm talking about it. But you know, I've been to so many TIFF opening nights and they're a circus, right? They're mm. like this kind of big artsy celebratory overblown circus. And then to go to TIFF opening night in the car, in the dark, mm. and it's cold and there are all these rules was really weird. But then, you know, the film uh, starts up. I should say there was a performer on a stage um, doing his level best to kind of make it feel like a party. I think he was a local Toronto rapper. And at one point he also said, I have swag. I have all kinds of masks. So if you have a mask on, make sure you're wearing it. Come up to me, stand six feet away and I'll throw you a mask. <laughs> so that's where we are now. That's fine. But yes, yeah, so there's the opening after, after the rapper, the TIFF co-heads, Cameron and Joanna, take the stage and do some thank yous and some physically distanced introductions of some political dignitaries, because that's always a big part of opening night to thank various bodies for the funding. One of the performers from the show came and said a quick hello. I guess she had, I think she's from Toronto and had flown home and quarantined for 14 days just to take the stage, oh, wow. you know, so briefly. And where people would normally have done the polite clapping for all of the, we want to thank our sponsors. We want to thank the government. We want to thank, you know, Jacqueline for being here it's honking instead. So, you know, you have all these car horns honking. And all I could do, and maybe this was the researcher mode, but all I could do was sit there and think about the million ways this was weird, right? Mm -hmm. A million ways this was so, so, so weird. And then the film starts. And here, if you know anything about kind of David Byrne, there's this weird, charming earnestness and oddness to everything he does. And the film very much captures that. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is, and it's huge and you're in the car with your dad. And I'm thinking, this is going to be the weirdest night of my life. But the film was actually very excellent. And as someone who's not, never known much about David Byrne or like consistently listened to Talking Heads music or anything, by the end, it was so engrossing that I pretty much forgot I was in a car in this weird dystopian outdoor landscape. It, I guess it did what a good festival film should do, which is gradually pull you out of your actual reality into its own reality. So yeah, so that was night one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, I will say in terms of venue, so Friday night, I went with a friend to see a film uh, called Memory House, which is a Brazilian film by a first time Brazilian director. Another location on the same property at Ontario Place. In Ontario Place, it's, it's partly made of artificial islands. I actually looked up a little bit of this um, since going because I was like, so, and the weird thing is I used to work at Ontario Place for one summer when I was a teenager. I used to wrangle kids on bumper boats and stuff like that. So in my mind, it's this very vibrant, overcrowded, alive venue. And as I think I've tried to say, it's quite, it's in this weird zombie state right now where mm -hmm. it comes back periodically. But in any event, so they have these islands with these pedestrian bridges that you, you walk over. And so arriving at dusk with my friend to go claim seats for the outdoor screening, it was actually magic. And it mm -hmm. made me wonder why they haven't used it more for events like this in the past. And, and frankly, hope that even when we're all allowed to crowd into cinemas and breathe each other's air again, in the normal way that they would still keep doing this. Because you, you walk over a bridge, there's this inlet of water and people are on stand-up paddle boards paddling into the sunset to the west. And I guess maybe by night too, I was used to staff in masks sort of mm -hmm. making meaningful eye contact with me and trying to tell me where to go. And 
So you wend your way around to this open arena area where there's a stage that was designed as much as anything to be a stage for children's performers. So it kind of looks like, it looks like a backdrop out of the Flintstones carved into some, some artificial rock and the stage, the uh, screen is set up on that. Not a huge screen, but a, a functional one. And in this instance, it's not reserved seating. It's first come, first serve. And there are a pair of white, here we call them Muskoka chairs because of Muskoka being a big cottage area in Ontario. I'm not sure what they're called internationally, but those sort of white wooden reclining lawn chairs. So there's a crisply painted pair of those on a, a six foot square piece of AstroTurf with a, a crisply painted white square around that and a, a number on imprinted on the AstroTurf and you, you claim your seat and once you're seated, you can take your mask off. And they, as I think, whereas the night before they'd had a musical performer, I guess at every night's screening at that venue, they've partnered with an initiative called Street Art, I think it's Start Toronto, but it's Street Art Toronto. And so they have a street artist doing a live painting on a canvas inspired by the film. And then they're basically drawing a number for a pair of seats out of a a hat and whoever whoever's sitting in those seats ends up winning the piece of art to take home I did not win it but uh you know and so this I will say it was much easier to get used to this as a venue and and sort of as I said before it's it was the type of the type of setup where you're like we should be doing this all the time I knew from a friend who'd gone there the night before to bring a blanket and a pillow the temperature dropped very, very quickly. And so, and I, you know, I, I think, oh, I'm an over-preparer, but you look around and everyone has blankets and pillows and toques, which like, you know, it's very early in the year for Ontarians to be wearing toques, but there were, I would say at least half the audience had their hats on. And so that's sort of the, the environmental setup. Then a programmer came out and introduced the film, did a good job contextualizing it. It's a film that, that what it most reminded me of is Uncle Boonmi, the uh, F- Chapong whereas Thakul film in so much as there's not a lot of dialogue. It's heavily mysterious and you're never quite sure, at least I was never quite sure if I was interpreting the narrative correctly. And then just as a sort of to seal the the deal, connecting it to Uncle Boonmi, animals' eyes kind of start glowing and you get this, you know, there's the, the, the implication of sort of transference of animal and human souls into one another. And it was the type of film that you desperately wanted the Q&A. That was not happening there. There is a Q&A on, on YouTube that was pre-recorded. But I think so while the film and the venue were really interesting, suddenly you get to the end and it's just sort of over. All of us had to walk distanced back to the parking lot being like, don't think I quite know how to decode that one yet. But they don't screen the recorded Q&As on the big screen. <laughs> They've been screening recorded introductions. And it's my own my own fault and the fault of my own schedule that I've not yet gone to watch the Q&A because my assumption is that it will have been moderated by one of the TIFF programmers and will ask the type of questions that would help a specifically Toronto audience, you know, make sense of this specifically Southern Brazil narrative because there's, you know, there's history and allegory there that I, I personally nor my friend could immediately translate. And it turns out she knows a lot about um, tensions between the North and the South Brazil. So, you know, <laughs> through, through our masks on the trip home, she, we sort of tried to muddle some of it out. But having been both a programmer and sort of a pre-programmer who did a lot of Q&As at TIFF, the difference of a festival screening when people can stay afterwards and have an informed conversation with someone who could speak to the content, whether it's a director or not, that is for me sort of like the apex festival experience. It's what differentiates a festival screening wherever possible from a screening, you know, and so while this particular event had all the, the magic that you would want sort of in terms of going somewhere special and feeling like you're sitting somewhere special watching a film, for me at least at the end there was this like it was like there's a phantom limb when you don't have the opportunity to talk about it with the expert after. That's really interesting. I guess that sort of leads into your research because you're looking into, you know, how these festivals foster some kind of citizenship or <laughs> some kind of community, I guess, or reputation for a place. How has this all affected your research? As lockdown hit, I was supposed to be starting the the final stretch of writing. I had done my years of, of researching at my three 
uh, Toronto case study festivals, also going to several others, obviously, but I had three in-depth ones where I was, you know, sort of officially onboarded as an exterior researcher with, with these three different organizations. And for anyone, I think, doing research on something seasonal or recurring like a festival, it's such a strange model, right? Because you you prep and then you have a weekend to two weeks worth of access to the actual, the, the meat of the event of what you're studying. And then it drops again for a year. And very often the people you've been talking to disappear. A lot of the staff are seasonal or are working on other things and it becomes harder for them to speak to the event they've just done. But I certainly, so all three of my case study festivals happen in Toronto in the fall. I have TIFF, which is September, the uh, Rendezvous with Madness Festival, which is typically latish October, and then the Regent Park Film Festival, which is typically November. And they each have very, very different profiles and rather different audiences. And I went through all three of them last fall, fully expecting that that was my last pass through for this project, at least as a researcher, and was doing some wrap up interviews in January and February when, you know, and then suddenly it's March and, and COVID happens. And it took me a while to even really ask myself the question of what this meant for my research, partly because suddenly we had our son home full time and suddenly the whole world was scary. And so, you know, that sort of took a, maybe a third rung place. And the, my initial impression was, okay, well, I just, I, I can't write this year. I'll have to wait. And then it was just like one morning I woke up and had the realization that it would be absurd to just try and write the, the topic that I had stopped as of fall 2019 when it was all about, is all about sort of the space, the community, the, the sort of the cultural sphere that each of these events creates annually and the ways in which they're different and the reasons they're different and the philosophical, you know, philosophical reasons they're different. And so it was, I can't even tell you, it was so surreal waking up and being like, how have I spent however many weeks or months not realizing that extending this to look at what they each do this fall is going to be absolutely crucial because it's, I don't know, is it like the Schrodinger's cat or the, you know, the tree falling in the forest with no one there version of my research, right? Like as, as these festivals have to take away the, the fundamental, the sort of rubbing shoulders with other film goers and, and mixing it up physically with, with people who you might not otherwise because you're in a, a cinema seeing a film together. I felt that was going to throw very different and useful light on what I was doing. So it's, it was a hard decision because I, I am very much at the stage where my doctorate feels endless. It, and now I guess it feels as open-ended as, uh, as COVID, but um, it's like, will there be a vaccine for my, for my doctorate? But so reopened it and I, I'm not yet sure whether the the form that this takes is sort of that it's, you know, it's set up in the, in the introduction in a way that it, it isn't currently uh, on the page. And then, you know, there's a final chapter that talks about COVID or whether it's going to kind of wash back over all of the other structures about, about how it's working. And as I, I said, when we sort of first started chatting, I have, so having gone to TIFF the past four days, and also I didn't mention, but watching a couple of TIFF films at home as well with, with each sort of, and then also attending some online industry sessions with each of these new questions are, are bubbling up. Mm -hmm. And so it's so indeterminate right now, exactly what form it's going to take. Uh, you know, I can certainly say that it has complicated it immensely, but in another way, I'm quite excited about it, it does add, I think it adds a stronger why to the project overall, because that sort of, well, why now? Why exactly at this moment look at, look at festivals, frankly, and their, their significance to, you know, to a city's cultural life. And when we all kind of get through COVID in whatever form, whatever form we get through it, you know, I think we'll be able to look back a bit more clearly and note what these possibly for some non-essential events we're actually doing that was a little more essential. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds fascinating. It'll be really interesting to see what you do decide on. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast and hopefully we'll talk to you again and get an update on this at some point in the future. That would be great. I'm hopeful too for, you know, Homer 2021. Hopefully we will speak to you again soon. Thank Thanks you, very much. And that's it for this month. Thanks to Anna, Sam and Kate for coming on. And if you want to be on the next Homer podcast, then please do get in touch. I'm Peter Turner. 
Please let me know if you've enjoyed the pod or any suggestions you might have for the future. And thanks for listening.